0: Hello, and welcome to the Soundweavers podcast. Soundweavers explores the trials and tribulations of small ensemble musicianship through conversations with leading performers and composers. Today's episode features harpist and composer Megan Bledsoe of the Pacific Harp Project. We hope you enjoy
1: Lovely and wonderful gentle folks, welcome back to the Sound Weavers Podcast. As always, I am your harping host, Dr. Rosanna Moore, and my amazing and delightful co pilot today is Dr. Adam Paul Cordell. How are you today, my dear?
0: I'm doing well, Rosie. How are you?
1: Oh, Not too shabby. So who is our guest today? Well, I am personally incredibly excited because we have a harpist on the podcast. Yay. Uh, So we have the wonderful Megan Bledsoe Ward from the Pacific Harp Project. Pacific Harp Project is praised for their engaging jazz with scintillating plays of light and subtle colors, as quoted by Downbeat magazine. Pacific Harp Project's emergence onto the jazz scene has surprised many listeners with a unique sonic experience. What I particularly love about this group is they take music from the classical harp realm, and for want of a better term, jazzify it. Without further ado, I want to introduce you to the amazing harpist, Dr. Megan Bledsoe Ward. How are you, my dear? I'm very well.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here with you both today.
1: So the essence of the Pacific Heart Project is the blending of traditional harp repertoire, as we mentioned, such as Debussy and Tournier with improvisation, original composition, jazz, and popular musics. Could you talk about what some of your inspirations were that drew you towards this cross-genre collaboration and fusion?
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, I've always been interested in, in jazz and collaborative improvised music. I grew up with an an aunt who is a jazz pianist and singer. So there's a lot of improvisation in, in our family. And when I began music, I started studying piano with her. She was one of my role models and idols from the time I was very little. So of course, I always wanted to be just like her and play jazz. And then um, I kind of branched off and decided that I wanted to play the harp. And it didn't occur to me that these things might not go hand in hand. So I I continued with my study of the harp. (laughs) Different kind of pedals. (laughs) Very different, different kind of (laughs) pedals and uh, I kept hanging out with her and she was so wonderful and kind and let me bring my harp to some of her gigs and jam sessions and let me just explore what it was like to improvise in a small group setting and to read music and interact with music in a totally different way than I was getting with my teachers or at school or in youth symphony. Um, And then I decided I wanted to keep doing harp as my career so I went to Music school. And uh, as it often happens, I kind of specialized in, in classical music and kept doing a lot of solo harp repertoire and orchestral repertoire. And so I became very familiar and very experienced with that repertoire and those composers and that way of writing music for the harp. And then after studying a lot of solo harp repertoire and playing in a lot of orchestras, I kept coming back to this idea of Including improvisation in my my harp career, my music career, and I was thinking about you know um, people like Bill Evans were using Debussy as a means of, of improvisation and exploration for a long time. Why has nobody done this with harp repertoire? Composers like Tournier were writing in tall tertian harmonies, just like Debussy, and the kind of same kind of harmonies and same kind of chord structures as we have in. Basically, all of jazz history. It was just kind of a separate musical realm for the harp. And I thought, why don't we just try to bridge this together a little bit and see what will happen? So, That's how we started this group was really with the idea of using classical harp repertoire as a vehicle for collaboration and improvisation. So we started doing some free improvisation and everybody else in the group started bringing their own compositions. And I started writing a lot more for the group. And so while the classical harp repertoire remains a big part of the group and why we originally started we now have branched into this other totally different genre um, that I'm, i'm not sure how you would describe the genre but we we're just doing all kinds of different things now and it's really a wonderful and beautiful thing i love it
0: what do you feel is gained for the traditional repertoire by recasting it within other musical approaches
2: personally from my experience interacting with this repertoire on a completely separate level from an a concerto performance from a solo recital, but taking the material and exploring it on an improvisatory level and on a level of the composer arranger, I have learned so much about what I think is important in the music and how I approach it when I go back to playing playing these pieces in their traditional sense. For instance, mm. you know, I went back and played the Debussy and the Ravel with a with an orchestra a few years after we recorded the Debussy and the Ravel in these arrangement settings with a lot of improvisation and I approached it completely differently going back to it. That's kind of a selfish answer because that's just from my perspective as the the harpist but I think for everybody learning learning music it's like learning anything you know the Bloom's taxonomy you know there's the rote memorization and then reciting things back and then there's synthesis and if you can take a piece of information and expand on it and use it as a creative endeavor then you're assimilating that information and interacting with it on a very deep level. And so I now use not exactly the Pacific Heart Project repertoire, but the same idea of improvising and exploring repertoire, classical harp repertoire with my students, because if they have to encounter the, the material from all these different perspectives, picking it apart layer by layer, all the different different aspects of the music that make it what it is and play with it then for one, it becomes very fun for them. And they they get this really deep understanding of all the components of the piece. So I think in general, anytime we interact with material, whether it's in music or outside, um, in a number of different ways from different perspectives and just think about it differently, it can give us a, a much deeper understanding of the music itself and ourselves as musicians or the material itself and yourself as an artist or what have you, and you're placed in the community.
1: Back to the pacific art project how did you land on your instrumentation of harp saxophone and rhythm section
2: and vibraphone yeah vibraphone. And vibraphone. I, oh, I suppose yes. that falls into the rhythm section yes. but it's a really <laughs> crucial part of of our instrumentation let's see do you want the real answer or the <laughs> <laughs> sugar-coated <Both>. answer <laughs> Both answers. Both answers are always good. Okay, well, the sugar-coated answer, of course, is that that instrumentation lends itself perfectly to expressing the musical (laughs) ideas in the clearest and (laughs) and most, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, what really happened was I am married to a jazz drummer. And we were talking about this project for months and months and just kind of mulling it over what the possibilities might be like we had moved to honolulu at the time um my husband won a job with an ensemble called the royal hawaiian band his colleague and section leader is this just extraordinarily accomplished jazz drummer who has played with tons of big name people and chooses to live. Here in in Hawaii, even though he could be anywhere and touring the world, he just loves it here and he's the kindest person you will ever meet and just a phenomenal musician and we wanted to include him he was looking for projects that included jazz vibes and we said well let's give it a try if that means that his name is Noel Okimoto, if that means that Noel can play then we'll play with vibes it doesn't matter it's kind of the the kind of person that doesn't matter what you want to do but please please come play with us (laughs) (laughs) and and we put the trio together and then we 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 needed a bass player, so we added a bass player, and it started out with just that quartet. We just had four people for a long time. We played around with different sounds and different ways to orchestrate within that ensemble. So, the vibraphone was not usually, I wouldn't call it a part of the rhythm section because we didn't have a single line melodic player at that Mm -hmm. time. So, he and I would trade off different roles, because we could both play the chordal uh, role. We could both kind of play a bass line if we needed to, or take over um, if the bass player was soloing. So we played around with a lot of different ways to work together as a quartet. So then we incorporated a saxophonist who was another good friend in the Royal Hawaiian Band. He was another just phenomenal musician and we just wanted to hang out with him and we wanted to make music with him. So brought him into the group and it worked out so well. And then on our latest album, we thought, well, this is great. Let's just keep adding more and more people. So for different uh, tracks on our latest album, we have different guests, artists. We have one of my good friends from Eastman, a singer, Jamie Jordan, who's just mm-hmm. phenomenal as in both the new music classical repertoire our realm and as a jazz singer. And she kindly came out to Hawaii um, to record with us and, and did our CD release with us. That was really special. We did a tournier piece. Um, and then we had a taiko drummer, a taiko master mm. who is local and also plays the Fue, the Japanese flute. He we actually arranged one of his original pieces and he played on one of the tracks. And then we had it's other phenomenal saxophonist who has ties to Hawaii and, and was living in New York at the time. So it's kind of just expanded as a way to, for one thing, explore different sounds and different textures, as much as, as much as melody, harmony, rhythm, our group is all about what different textures can we evoke and what different kinds of feelings and atmospheres can we really create. And, playing around with different instruments really widens the realm of possibilities for those.
3: Laissez-y si prouesse de penser de perdre rose tout pas la sondre frite d'allice peu pas et les glycines au I would I may
1: So talking about the repertoire that you do obviously you mentioned that this started off with looking at harp repertoire do you do most of the arranging for that or does the ensemble take some of it obviously if the ensemble is bringing in some of their repertoire do they handle those arrangements just what happens uh, is it arrangement first or organically improvising and going from there or a combination of the two
2: I would say a combination of the two, all of the arrangements of harp repertoire are mine. Um, Mm -hmm. When we started out, everything was mine. Um, It was my my baby is my project. So I did the, all the arranging and there were some original compositions that I wrote or my husband and I wrote together. And then this to me was a sign that something was working was that different musicians in the group wanted to play their own compositions with us that i mean that's just such an honor to me that this is the venue that people want to explore their own musical ideas so that was a huge huge step and noel the vibraphonist and drummer is just such an extraordinary mind and musician that he has been extremely prolific in writing pieces and he started writing pieces specifically for this group. So he would bring in his own pieces and sometimes he would have an arrangement in mind um, and we would just kind of play with it and figure out the instrumentation and make it work. And sometimes he would have a little bit more of a seed of an idea or some other, Alan Wan is another saxophonist who's playing with us and he will bring in pieces that are finished, but he has a different approach to it. He'll he'll hand me a piece and say, hey, what do you think we should do with this? Or what do you think about these chords? What, do, what would you do here? And so we kind of have these group arranging sessions where there's a lot of improvisation involved, I would say, or we'll just kind of like I do as a composer. We'll just try something, see what see what everybody thinks. Okay, try something else. What do you think about that? And, and we always defer to whoever wrote the tune. Does that mm-hmm. feel like what you intended with this section? Do you want to do something a little different here? So I love how collaborative it has gotten as an ensemble. When it started out, it was just me uh, as a person with a classical background. I knew exactly <laughs> what I wanted all the time. You cannot deviate. We are improvising here to here and that is all. <laughs> and oh, it has goodness. really come away from that. I'm very happy to say it's taken me personally many years to get more comfortable with that because it's a different mindset than I typically have in my career. Um, But I love where it is now. It's very collaborative. No matter how finished a piece is, people will come in with with their pieces and we always do something with it.
0: Well, it's interesting too, because the way that you're describing it, it sounds like it may even be pretty consistently in flux and nothing ever really settles. Yeah. So it's interesting because that's one of the things that albums are tricky about because they suggest that this is a static idea of a work, but in reality, it's just a snapshot of where that work was at this particular time right. in life, right?
2: Exactly. Someone, someone at Eastman told me once, your album is a Polaroid. It's it's Mm -hmm. what that piece was. It's what you were as a musician at that moment in time. And that can change day to day, of course. And it does make recording stressful (laughs) and tricky (laughs) because you always want it to be perfect and you want to make the exact right decisions and trusting yourself in that moment, knowing that you Mm -hmm. might not always have those same priorities as a musician or as an artist. It's it's a tough thing to do. Um, But as a whole, that means every single time we get together to play a gig, everything is fresh. We never know what's going to happen on the bandstand. And it's so Mm -hmm. unlike any other gigs that I play. It's not like an orchestral concert where I play the right notes and I have the right entrances or I don't. (laughs) So there's that level of stress. It's really a matter of trusting yourself and trusting the ensemble to listen to each other and react in an appropriate way or in a way that's going to say something and make, make something magical happen in that moment.
0: So Megan, your first album was funded, I think, primarily through crowdfunding. Yeah. Um, what are the keys to a successful crowdfunding campaign?
2: Hmm. This is a big question. And <laughs> I will say I learned a whole lot in the process of doing the crowdfunding a big part of it is learning who you are as a musician and an ensemble. And how do you find your community? Because there are going to be people who want to support who you are as a musician, but you have to be secure enough in your musical identity to put yourself out there and find those people. And that is a, a really tough thing to do. And I don't think there's one way to do it. Mm. Um, What we did was we started with the connections. I used social media. I started with people that I knew through different parts of, of my life who knew me as a person. And I just reached out and said, Hey, I'm doing this thing. I believe in it. Here's the, here's why I'm doing it. Here's what it is and here's our timeline, and here's how much money I need. Do you have any people in your life who think this might be something that they would want to be involved in? And if you can think about it that way as reaching out to create your own community around your art, then it can be, I think, a much more successful endeavor. Um, It took me a while to get over the hurdle of thinking, oh, I don't want to ask people for money. That's such, such a tough, a tough thing, um, and there are some grants out there. We've I've since gotten some some grants for things, but at the time, um, since we hadn't done anything yet, I hadn't yet, and so uh, I think crowdfunding is one possible route to that equity. It's, there are problems with it. Of course, you have to be connected to people with money, which is not the case for a lot of, a lot of people. So there's already difficulty and there's all, there's hurdles no matter what. Um, But my best advice would be to be very strong in your identity as an artist and share it with honesty and share it in the circles that you think you can connect people with
1: can you give us a little bit more of an overview of the costs that go into recording an album for our listeners who may be contemplating their own
2: projects? Yeah. You know, I think it varies a lot depending on where you are located mm-hmm. literally in the, in the geography. New York how much city is your... going to be
1: more expensive. Like, than exactly. Timbukton... yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: How much do your music studios cost? How much do your recording engineers cost and how much are you willing to pay for that? Because like anything, You can get somebody for cheap and they might not be as experienced or you can pay a lot of money and have somebody who's really efficient and does a high quality job. And we were fortunate to be able to go that route. We wanted to make sure that whatever project we did and put out there, was gonna be as high quality as we could afford. It didn't seem Mm -hmm. worth it to us to do a project that was not going to showcase all of us in the best light and and be something that we were really proud of. Okay, so that you need to consider recording studio costs. You need to consider recording engineer if you're gonna hire a producer. If all the pieces are already composed or arranged, you need to pay royalties. Do you need to pay the composers or arrangers? the other musicians in the group, do. are you going to pay them? Um, so I, as a band leader, it's very important to me to always pay the other musicians. It's a collaborative effort. And everyone is very kind. And I know that they would do it for free. But morally, I cannot ask people to perform or record for free. That's just not a thing that I'm OK with. So I pay everyone in the band. And then are you paying them per track? Are you paying them per hour? Different people charge these different ways. And that's totally fine. Um, then consider: Are you going to have rehearsals, and how many? And are you paying them for rehearsals? Do you need to buy rehearsal space or rent rehearsal space? Um, then, how long are you going to be recording? Because recording studios are charged per hour, um, so that can be a cost that really adds up very quickly. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let me think. What else? Then there's always the the marketing, and if you have physical CDs, that. Costs money, of course, to manufacture. Are you going to hire a photographer or a graphic designer for your albums? Are you hiring somebody to write the liner notes? Um, So there's a very wide spectrum. All of this you could conceivably do on your own for little to no money. You can create your own recording studio in your apartment. A lot of people have learned about this during the pandemic. You can learn how to use audio editing software and be your own recording engineer. You could play all the parts layered on top of each other. It depends on what kind of music and, and what your capabilities are.
0: love for you to talk a little bit about how your marketing strategies shift for different projects for example how would you approach marketing for your albums differently than maybe you might advertise a typical concert season
2: this is this is a big one um well for the albums the biggest marketing for me is to perform live always have albums with me when we're at gigs. And even as a solo artist, if I'm not playing with the Heart Project, I have the albums mm-hmm. because people might listen for the first time and just be just like you as a musician and want to know what you do. And that's that's the best way to go. Then there's word of mouth that can often um, help propel the album sales. Um, so the biggest marketing for our new album was our CD release concert. And the biggest help we had with that was pairing with the venue that is well known so we were able to go we went on morning news shows and performed and marketed the right. to promote the concert yeah. and that promoted the album so it's kind of one one big thing was really hype up this concert and let that speak for the album because mm. people aren't just gonna buy a cd without knowing yeah what yeah. to expect right and i found that people are often pleasantly surprised they might just We might be playing a gig and people walk by and are just kind of intrigued and they hear the set. Like I said, it's all about the sounds and the atmospheres with the harp and the vibraphone. (laughs) And I don't know what it makes them think of, but then they think, oh, I would like to know to know more about this. And then they might buy an album or they might gift an album to their friends. Um, So performing is a big one a live live performing to promote the album then for concert series and concert seasons, so much of those kinds of promotions are are done online these days either with email newsletters which I also use for the heart project and just myself as a an artist and composer um then there's all the the social media and different different ways to promote online as best you can um but I think the most success that that I have had in promoting concerts and albums all together is to, to work with specific venues. Cause they will put up posters. So they want you to do well and you want to do well. Um, so it benefits everybody to work with venues that are going to help you promote. Sometimes I'll play with venues and they say promotions, all you, and that's a really yeah. difficult thing because then only our fan base is going to go. And yeah. um, if they're, if they're available, whereas, Always the goal is to reach more people. So if you can start to reach out and partner with either from a venue perspective, or if I were a more creative person, I'd have other ideas here, partner with more people who are outside of your circle, (laughs) who are going to, to going to help um, increase your ensemble's visibility in these different arenas. That's, that's the biggest thing that I can see.
0: We've chatted with a number of couples on the podcast who work very closely with one another and you happen to work very closely with your husband. How do you manage to work effectively with one another in a professional context while keeping your professional life from consuming your personal life?
2: Well, I can't speak to the second half of that question because (laughs) I have not achieved that and I wouldn't know where to start.
0: I ask, I ask because I always hope that someone will have the answer.
2: (laughs) I was going to say, do, can I ask you the same question? I would really like to hear anybody else's thoughts, but okay. Within the working together part, I think it's important to keep some roles separate and to remember what your overall goal is that we always have the shared goal. And that is to make, make music together, to have a good time, to have successful concerts, albums and keeping some perspective is extremely helpful. And then within the ensemble, my husband has a very different role than I do. We can give each other um, ideas to each other. Or if I have a certain thing in mind, I might ask, hey, can you, can you do this thing that sounds like this, or maybe a little bit more like this? And knowing that we have so much respect for each other and we have so much love for each other and we share a common goal, it's never been an issue to take those ideas and, and use them or try them or work on them. And in general, it's it's been a very supportive and helpful thing for us to be working together. Working with a, a spouse or a partner is, it feels to me the same as just regular marriage. There's always communication in order to make things work and there's always treating each other with respect and with kindness and if you can do that in your professional life with everyone you will have some amount of success and if you can do that in your relationships you will have some amount of success so I haven't figured out how to keep it separate from my professional life it's all one thing but I think it's if you find the right person it's not a difficult aspect of your life it hasn't from it hasn't presented any hurdles for us. And with that, we
1: are at the end of the interview and you could probably tell dear listeners that we could have stayed chatting for a heck of a lot longer than we're (laughs) going to do today Uh, otherwise our darling and wonderful editor is going to tell us off for giving her far too much material but thank you so so much to Megan Bledsoe Ward Dr. Megan Bledsoe Ward of the Pacific Heart Project for lending us uh, all of your inspiration and ideas and everyone go and check out both of their albums they are really really fantastic.
2: Thank you so much. This was such a treat to be here with you guys. Thanks. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Soundweavers Podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and most other major podcast platforms. We hope that you'll visit us at www.soundweaverscast.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Soundweaverscast, and on Twitter at SW Chambercast, where you'll get episodes as soon as they drop, show notes, and regular updates. This podcast is hosted by Rosanna Moore and engineered by Blair Kerner. I'm your producer, Adam Paul Cordell. Our theme music was composed by Evan Henry and recorded by the Soundweafers team. The music you heard in today's podcast was performed by the Pacific Heart Project and Jamie Jordan. On behalf of the Soundweafers cast, see you in two weeks.